Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plant, it's time to hemp resent. Our radio resident Hempo Sapien Vivian McPeak will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to hemp resent about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. Welcome to Hemp Present, the weekly radio show where you can get your PhD in THC because you don't just want to burn it, you want to learn it. Seeking to defeat prohibition one interview at a time and advocating for the plant, the whole plant, and nothing but the plant. Join me for a weekly reefer radio rebellion against prohibition as I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers, and shakers, and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture, and reform movement. I'm your host, Vivian McPeak. I'm the executive director for the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest, and it's 25th year found at hempfest.org. I'm also the author of the book, Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle Hemp Fest from AHA Publishing. I am transmitting from inside a counterculture stronghold perched precariously with an undisclosed location at an enclave located somewhere within the Soviet of Seattle. And my goal is to expose the dark moral crevasses of prohibition to the living light of toker truth. Today's guest on Hemp Present is author, activist, and entrepreneur Martin Lee. He'll join me in just a few minutes. Everybody by now has heard of THC, the chemical agent in cannabis that delivers the buzz to the user that is commonly called the high other biochemistry changes that ingesting the herb elicits. But THC is only one in over 60 compounds that are classified as cannabinoids. Because THC and CBD are often the most predominant of the 60 plus cannabinoids contained in cannabis, they have hence been studied the most. For many years, growers concentrated on producing plants with high concentrates of THC. But we are now learning that while whole plant therapy appears to be a general standard for optimum effects, there is a host of other cannabinoids other than THC that have strong therapeutic properties on their own. Some cannabis breeders are now producing strain varieties of cannabis with low THC but high CBD content. CBD is a major phytocannabinoid accounting for up to 40% of the plant's extract. CBD is considered to have an even wider scope of potential medical applications than tetrahydrocannabinol or THC. CBD has many potential medical applications, including suppressing seizure activity, reducing nausea and vomiting, reducing inflammation, preventing neurodegenerative disorders, combating psychosis disorders, fighting tumor and cancer cells, and reducing depression. You cannot get high from CBD when it is isolated as CBD is non-psychoactive and acts on different CB1 receptors than THC. In fact, a patent awarded to the United States Health and Human Services Department in 2003 also covers the use of CBD as a treatment for various neurodegenerative and inflammatory disorders. Not only is my guest today at the helm of an organization called Project CBD, a California-based nonprofit dedicated to promoting and publicizing research into the medical uses of cannabidiol and other components of the cannabis plant, 
but he's a well-respected published author and activist as well. Martin Lee has an undergraduate degree in philosophy from the University of Michigan. He has lectured at many colleges and universities, including Harvard, Columbia, Dartmouth, Johns Hopkins, and the American University of Paris. In 1994, Lee was given the Pope Foundation Award for Investigative Journalism. Lee was the co-founder of the media watch group Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, known as FAIR. And his numerous books include the titles Acid Dreams, The CIA, LSD, and the 60s Rebellion, co-authored with Bruce Schlein, and Smoke Signals, A Social History of Marijuana, Medical, Recreational, and Scientific, among other books. And of course, as I said at the beginning of my introduction, Martin is the director of Project CBD, and he's been gracious enough to join me here today. Welcome, Martin. Thanks for being on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. My pleasure. Good to be with you. You have written extensively about the 1960s counterculture and its impacts on society. Martin, were you an original dankster, a 60s cannabis true believer yourself, or did you go through a conversion somewhere along the line? How were you introduced to the plant? You know, I was quite young, a young teenager in the 19, late 1960s, but uh, so I kind of caught the tail end of that energy and, and, and certainly part of that cultural rebellion, which spilled over for many people into an individual rebellion. Cannabis was very much a part of that and as a part of a set of political attitudes, anti-war, pro-ecology, etc. And so I kind of came out of that, but I'm one of the young ones in that regard. You know, 1965 was 50 years ago. Is the 1960s still in some ways a work in progress, in your opinion? Very, very much so. I mean, and what better example of that is in the whole pro-cannabis cultural shift we're seeing in America today is very much originates in the 1960s. You could trace the roots earlier to the beats during the 1950s, uh, jazz and the different aspects of American culture that was enriched by cannabis. But in terms of going mainstream, that really happens in the 1960s. And it's an interesting question. You pointed out 50 years from 65. 65 is the mid-60s of the period where all of a sudden millions of Americans, mainly young white Americans, for the first time turning on to cannabis. The question is why? Why at that moment in American history this cannabis kind of leak from the margins, from, from the beat enclaves and the jazz clubs and so forth, and become taken up by mainstream America and, it, and never let it go since that time. And I think it has a lot to do with, that for many people, young people, using cannabis, even though it was sort of the intention was recreational, it was part of a social situation for many people that was very rewarding, being part of a community. I think for the culture as a whole, it was a way of assuaging the anxiety following the Kennedy assassination and the Cuban Missile Crisis, where the first time in, in human history we have to confront the fact that we can annihilate the planet, and we seem to be on the verge of that in late 1962, and then 63, the Kennedy assassination, and 1964, for the first time in California, more whites are busted for cannabis than any other ethnic group. So in a way, smoking pot could have been the psychological equal to hiding under your desk. Yeah, but a better way of dealing with it, you know. Right, right. I mean, hiding under death is like absurd denial that that's you know meaning, meaningless in the real world in terms of uh, you know the possibility of an atomic holocaust, self-inflicted, and you know the being on the precipice of that. I th- and, and and like I say, the Kennedy said, I think it really w- these were very traumatic events for American culture, for the for the planet as a whole, and I think one way of coping with that, coping with the anxiety born of having to deal with the fact that we could end it all as a, as a society and we had come so close, I think cannabis is a way of sort of easing pe- people you know, out of that post-traumatic stress from those events in the, earlier in the decade. I really do think that has a lot to do with the popularity 
of recreational cannabis, even though I don't think, you know, I think when you talk about cannabis, sometimes these terms of recreational medical are, are meaningless. I, I think it was tantamount to a better way of coping with anxiety for young people in the 1960s and, and, the, and the tributaries. Well, their, their, parents, their parents had their martinis in Valium, right? Exactly. And I, I think that the same reason a doctor might prescribe a, you know, someone in a middle-class family working too hard or whatever for you know, pills to calm them down at night, and the same reasons that people breached for cannabis in the 1960s. It's just they weren't thinking of it that way. It just was right for them. And I think it's stuck with it ever since. And I think that so-called baby boomers today who are now you know, graybeards and senior citizens, one of the reasons why uh, there's a receptivity to cannabis as a medicine among seniors today, that's pretty significant. I think it comes out of, again, that generation that had a positive experience with cannabis going back to the 60s. Martin, in your opinion, how much of the U.S. drug war was and is actually an excuse to wage a vast ideological culture war? Well, I think that, you know, how the drug war emerged, and if you want to go back to the origins before it was called the drug war, just the imposition of cannabis prohibition in 1937 and the racist campaign leading up to that that culminated in that, I think it had a lot to do with sort of bureaucratic Machiavellian maneuvers, on the, on the, you know, very prosaic in a way, no big conspiracy other than here's a guy who's running a department, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics during the Depression in 1937, and he has to justify keeping this department funded. So he came up with reefer madness. And it was very effective to, to, to you know, layer the whole campaign with, with these you know, very explicit racist overtones. And you know, that, that worked back then very well in American society. I think all too often we see it happening again today with the Donald Trump campaign. But, so I think it, it was very, it, the drug war so-called, even before it was a drug war, when Harry Anslinger launched it, and, and it was, you know, uh, did, Hannah, did, 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 did Harry Anslinger supply morphine to Joseph McCarthy? Did I read that in your book? Yes, that's correct. He did. And so that just, that's, that's a beautiful example of the glaring hypocrisy that's everything to do with the drug war. You know, there are many examples, but there's not, I can't think of any better than that, actually. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the whole, the whole discussion, the whole public discourse around the anti-marijuana campaign publicly waged, led by Harry Anslinger and then the Hearst Press Syndicate and so forth, going, going way back. I, I mean, it's always served a purpose in terms of social control. It gives uh, politicians an, an opportunity and law enforcement an opportunity to wage selective campaigns against certain groups in society, these, uh, dr the drug laws. And I, and I think that's why it's persisted for so long. It's, it's always been very useful for power elites to have something like a war on drugs because you could put a lot of people in jail if you want or, or keep a community suppressed and generally that's been targeted against young people, minorities and so forth. But again, it's, it's shifting somewhat, not necessarily the mentality within law enforcement, but just the, the public as a whole we can see. It's, the attitudes toward cannabis are changing, but a lot of confusion I think around the whole plant and the whole issue remains. How are you excited about what's happening today in cannabis? Oh my God! You know, I just—we think of this time last year where I'm just, I was just commenting to my, my colleagues, the people in Project CBD, and the, and the groups that we work with in Northern California. Just what a year! My God, the energy and the, <laughs> things are exploding. And, and you know, we're we're in Northern California. We, we for many reasons, it's it's quite a moment because 
until a few weeks ago, everybody had to operate under the pretense of being a non-profit collective if you wanted to be in the cannabis business, if you wanted to be a medical marijuana business entity. And then all of a sudden, the new rule is coming to say, okay, no, you're for-profit, no collective, no vertical integration, 180 degrees opposite of what it was. So everybody's scrambling to kind of you know, uh, adapt to a new environment. Meanwhile, they've got the initiative that's going to be, uh, it looks like it's going to go forward, the so-called Parker Initiative to legalize for adult use, you know. And the problem is nothing's written on stone. What happens after it? You know, we've seen some of the problems in Washington that's unfolded since uh, legalization for adult use there. And, and, you know, but things are just moving forward willy-nilly in quite a pace. It's, it's rather amazing. I'm speaking with Martin Lee, author of Acid Dreams, Smoke Signals, and director of Project CBD on Hempersent on Cannabis Radio. We're going to take a quick pause for the cause because there's flaws and laws and come right back with Martin Lee. Time to roll out for the people that let us Hempresent. Hang loose. We're coming right back. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we are back on Hemp Present with author and activist Martin Lee. Martin, about your book, The Beast Reawakens, an in-depth examination of the resurgence of fascism, Publishers Weekly said... It contributes much toward understanding the politics of hatred. Are we seeing today the politics of hatred on our televisions? Is that what's going on? Do, do current events rise to that moniker in your assessment? Yeah, I think it does. One has to be careful about the word fascism and how it is applied to things. But, you know, I mean, again, you can draw parallels to drug policy. And, and when did this, the Reefer Madness campaign, when was it waged with all its racist intensity? 1920s, 1930s, during the Depression in the United States. Well, what was going on in Europe at that time? 
there's a parallel phenomenon here. The, the hatred of the other, in, in the case of cannabis, it was directed toward Mexican-Americans. In Europe, it's directed toward Jews. These are happening at the same time, these phenomena. And I see them very much coming from the same roots. And unfortunately, it's like, sort of like a, a germ that's, you, you hope it's recessive in your culture, but at times, uh, social stress, economic stress, or whatever, as we live in today, a lot of stress in our culture. This virus seems to emerge again, and I think we see that in the political landscape today. It's troubling. You know, hopefully we've got some healthier impulses that we can ride as well. Hopefully. You know, I was thinking instead of dropping bombs in the Middle East, we should be dropping big bags of pot, Fruit Loops, you know, and, uh, and I don't know, albums of Dark Side of the Moon or something, you know. Well, they got some pretty good hash there. That I yeah, that's right. Yes, that's, this is true. <laughs> and we should just encourage that rather than the open. Yes, the indeed. Martin, the cannabis culture is in large part a byproduct of cannabis prohibition. I mean, without prohibition, there might not even be a pot culture in America today. How do you think the legalization and subsequent commoditization of cannabis is going to change the pot culture that we know today? Mm, it's a really interesting question. I think that it just in terms of the plant itself and what people have access to to smoke, to utilize as edibles, or however people are going to administer it, I think commercialization means in some ways homogenization, of probably limiting some diversity, a great emphasis on, on certain very popular strains that will be bred out and grown and uh, mass to the exclusion of others. So I think it will have an actual effect. I think it already is having an effect on the cannabis plant and its evolution on the planet and just as it has affected us. It's very tricky. You know, with cannabis, I'm a little bit loath to make certain predictions because the plant has this way of confounding. You know, even <laughs> truest believers, you know, look, the drug warriors thought they could just beat the crap out of people with this plant, you know, using the, 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 the uh, prohibition of this plant. And, and, and look what happened. It blows up in their face, you know. So, well, the government's treated it like one of the dangerous substances on Earth. Well, that for them, it's, again, a useful tool for social control. If it's illegal, that means you can target certain groups, put them in jail, strip them of their civil rights, their constitutional rights, et cetera, et cetera. And you, it's a way of keeping groups of people controlled. But there's a certain point, I think, where the... You know, there's a kind of a tipping point that it, maybe it's been reached in our culture, hopefully, where the social control project becomes this Backfired. law of diminishing returns. You know, at a certain point, people could see the glaring hypocrisy, the, the contradictions between the law and the reality, and, and it becomes, a, a, in a way, of a, a fomenting a sentiment against this kind of social control. So it's, well, you know, interestingly enough, it seems like society has taken control of the issue now. Well, there's certainly a skirmish, and there's you know a lot of money coming in for the whole cannabis scene, but it's a mixed bag. There's not only one thing going on, obviously, but it, it, on, on the one hand, it's very exciting, or it's finally unleashing the plant's medical science potential in ways never before. You know, so all good for that, but it's um, it's going to be pretty crazy, and it's going to be potentially difficult for certain players in, in the cannabis industry to, uh, to adapt. I think it could be difficult for the smaller growers. What's coming down? I, I'm not happy to say that, but it, it just... Sure. There's been you, big changes you, down the road from what we've been used to. Yeah, and I think there could be surprises for all concerned. So it's going to be very, very interesting, but it's a wonderful to be part of the cannabis community. I, I think one of the most significant things about this plant is it's a kind of a, a community-building botanical. Without, and it does yeah, it's, it without it's a uniter. It, it definitely, when you think of all the, the folks that come together at HempFest and some of these other uh, significant cultural events in Northern California, we have the Emerald Cup, you know. 
And this is unlike other community events, these things. And so that, uh, how will that, how will those change in the, in the, in the post prohibition era? I don't know. But, it's going to be interesting. Um, it's always been important, these events. Cannabis therapeutics really are an exciting new frontier, and there's been a lot learned recently about the vast array of cannabinoids, including cannabidiol or CBD. Talk to me about Project CBD, of which you're the director. What are you guys all about? Well, you know, Project CBD emerged about five or six years ago now we launched when the first strains with, uh, that we identified as CBD-rich, meaning had a either equal amount of CBD and THC or maybe even more CBD than THC. That these things were kind of stumbled upon in Northern California about five, six years ago. And we thought, knowing about the medical science potential of CBD, that this could be a very, very important, significant event for the cannabis community. And, and we suspected that it could really be a game changer. And I think it has to some degree. I think the reason industrial hemp is being grown in the United States, again, legally, albeit supposedly for an experimental purpose, is because of CBD. They're growing it to, to see about the potential of crops to harvest CBD. And I think CBD has, in a lot of ways, changed the discussion around medical cannabis. It's no longer a question, does it work? It's a question of, well, how much THC and CBD should you be using? What ratio? What dosage? Those are the burning questions today. It's no longer, does it work? I think that's been settled. Maybe they don't know why or how it works, but a lot of folks don't. But, but the idea that it, it's a, a serious medical option is increasingly embraced by a vast majority of Americans now. So with CBD, you know, what we emphasize in CBD as an edu- at Project CBD as an educational group is that what it's really all about is the whole plan. It's not about the single molecule. THC, it's an amazing molecule, but if you take it THC alone in the form of marinol, yuck. You know, I've, had that. I've been unfortunate enough to have to have that experience when I was very ill at one point. And CBD alone is not the same as CBD-rich cannabis. And that's very important to re-emphasizing that distinction now. There's a synergistic uh, effect, right, with cannabinoids? Very important. Uh, there's been several scientific studies and innumerable anecdotal accounts from people who emphasize the fact that CBD and THC potentiate each other's uh, many of each other's therapeutic attributes. If you're dealing with certain kinds of chronic pain, there's nothing better out there than a CBD-rich uh, oil or another product that has relatively equal amounts of CBD and THC. That's likely your best bet for neuropathic pain. There's nothing that Big Pharma offers for that. You know, So the, all that's very exciting. THC, a dominant strain alone, might be a, a helpful for neuropathic pain as well. But it's when the, 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 the these two... Very important cannabinoids, I call them the power couple, the THC and the CBD, are joined together as we really get some therapeutic magic. You have a, a more potent anti-tumoral effect when, when both are together. And I think the, the, the wave of the future in terms of cannabis therapeutics is, is for people to find their entry point, particularly new people who haven't been part of the cannabis scene. They find their entry point in terms of cannabis therapeutics, the, the goal being how much to find a product that has as much THC as they can comfortably utilize or comfortably tolerate along with the CBD. And that might differ from person to person, but there should be those medical options out there. There should be those herbal options out there. So it's not just the low THC strains, high CBD that helps a lot of people could be, but there are you know, many other ratios that are needed in terms of, of people accessing the full benefit of medical cannabis. So we really emphasize varieties of medicine varieties of whole plant medicine, not just one compound, given being privileged over uh, the others. And, and unfortunately, that's 
not what we're hearing a lot of times, and, and particularly in the CBD hemp oil community, misrepresenting the idea that somehow CBD is the most important molecule on the plant. No, it's, it's no more or less important than THC, and what's great is, is how they work together. Martin, your first book, Acid Dreams, the CIA, LSD, and the 60s Rebellion, published in 1985 by Grove Press, covered the use of LSD by both the government and the counterculture. Have you been to Electric Ladyland, as Jimi Hendrix would say? Have you been experienced? Uh, and if so, do you believe that the world has any idea how much the psychedelic experiences of so few impacted pop culture and the mass of humanity? Well, you know, certainly I had my day with it when I was younger. It's not really what I do these days. I'm involved with cannabis therapeutics, <laughs> yeah. pretty seriously. You, you and most of us. But certainly I respect people, you know, visiting the cosmos now and then, whether it's with acid or mushrooms or any other of these power plants that have incredible benefits if used well. But, yeah, I mean, again, it's part of the... <laughs> goes back to the 60s when a lot of people started availing themselves of psychedelics along with cannabis. It was part of the same subcultural or countercultural milieu, and it has affected things. You know, I, I've never seen the interest in this, these plants go away. Acid Dreams came out in the mid-1980s, and if, if anything, this, some of the how things have evolved has been a bit, little bit surprising. The fact that right now the federal government is is allowing certain scientific studies into the therapeutic attributes of psychedelic drugs, that this is actually happening, albeit very small number of studies, but with the federal government approval, is kind of astonishing to me. I would never have thought, I would have thought the federal government would get behind cannabis studies a lot sooner than studies of LSD and magic mushrooms, you know. But what do I know? <laughs> it doesn't give you clairvoyance. <laughs> I'm speaking with Martin Lee, author, activist, and entrepreneur on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. We're going to take a quick break, listen to our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Martin Lee. Time to roll out for the people that let us Hemp Present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or 8 years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, 
Back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we are back for the final segment of Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio with Martin Lee. Martin, your second book was titled Unreliable Sources, A Guide to Detecting Bias in News Media, co-authored with Norman Solomon, which was an outgrowth of your work with FAIR. I just have to ask, bias in the news media? Really? Are you serious? (laughs) (laughs) Again, no better example of that in some ways than how the news media have reported on drug policy, and particularly cannabis. Okay, now it's shifting. Even the New York Times has come out editorialized in favor of cannabis. But for a long time, you'd have to put the news media right up there in terms of the culprits reinforcing prohibition. Oh, yeah, prohibition would have been impossible if the media hadn't have been so complicit. Yeah, I think so. I think you're absolutely right. And you know, for, for, the media took the lead on this. Look at Hearst back in the 1920s and 30s. They yeah. The newspapers. You know, for the longest time, for the longest time, until just maybe two or three years ago, if there was a headline in a newspaper, there had to be the double entendre. Is it a smokescreen? Are they jonesing for reform? Uh, That seems to be gone. The aha factor is is kind of disappearing. And if you'd be watching Crossfire or some show like that, if they wanted to insinuate that somebody had the stupidest, most asinine statement, I don't know what he's been smoking, but – and that's kind of gone. That's fading, but you know what I see still persisting in terms of the media? It's what I call reefer madness light. It's like, okay, we don't hear stories about people smoking joints and, and taking an axe and murdering their brother anymore played up in the media, but we still hear this utter nonsense about cannabis use lowering the IQ of young people. There's no science yeah. that actually supports that. And so you, or shrinking us, shrinking parts of your brain. Yeah, it goes all around the world, but then the refutation you never really hear about, and the refutation is very solid. This, to me, is an ongoing thing, marijuana and schizophrenia, marijuana and IQ lowering, and so forth and so on. They just can't let go of this stuff, it seems. My last question for you is how concerned are you that big moneyed corporate interests are going to sit on their haunches while community-based gondrepreneurs sacrifice to forge an industry from their own sweat equity only to then come swooping in to buy it all up and consolidate their corporate pot empires? Do you think we can do anything to stop that? It's going to be an interesting free-for-all, that's for sure. I, I think, unfortunately, what you just described is already happening to some degree. But, again, even these big money folks wanting to dive into the scene, I think they could be in for some surprises. But we, we should know what we want. We want to be able to access cannabis as a medicine and a recreant and to grow it in our own backyards. And that's the goal, and that, we have to keep that in mind. Obviously, Big Pharma is going to do what it's going to do, but we want to make sure that we can continue to do what we want to do. Recreant. That's a great word, man. Thanks for that. I just uh, I had to write that down. <laughs> Martin Lee, thanks so much for taking time out to talk with me today. How can people find out more about Project CBD and your other works? You check out the website, Project CBD, uh, projectcbd.org. We've got a very vibrant uh, Facebook page now. and Sign up for the news feed. Stay in touch. We're, we try to get out there in front and, and share the new facts as early as we can find them in terms of medical science and the whole cannabis therapeutic field. Well, thanks so much for all your great works and being on HempRezen. I, I want you to know I read Acid Dreams the year it came out. Uh, just a great book, man. I appreciate all of your works, and thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. Now I want to get to a weekly feature of HempRezen on CannabisRadio.com, and that is the quote of the week, and here it is. Where justice is denied, where poverty is enforced, where ignorance prevails, and where any one class is made to feel that society is an organized conspiracy to oppress, rob, and degrade them, neither persons nor property will be safe. That was from African-American social reformer, abolitionist, orator, writer, and statesman Frederick Douglass. And that concludes this installment of Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. 
I want you to email me at hempresent at gmail.com with whatever, and I'll respond. Now get ready because I'm going to give that email again in a few seconds. I want to thank my exemplary engineers in the Cannabis Radio Control Room, Brasco and Hannah, and all of the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. If you're smelling what we're selling, join me next week for another Reefer Radio Rendezvous with a different hempy hero on a journey for justice. Because when it comes to prohibition, you have the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice, so find yours to speak up for justice because resistance is fertile. Until then, stay strong, stand tall, and take it easy. The Hemp Present theme song, Take Back the Plant, is performed by Stickerbush and sung by a much younger version of me. Turn up the music, maestro, I'm out. Marijuana! The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.